Hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Seek Outside podcast. My name is Dennis, and today we will be recording in the park across from my house. This will be our first in-person podcast with actual podcast equipment, so you might notice a slight bump in audio quality. Today we are joined by Giff Walters, a running coach and a friend of mine who I worked with a few years ago to get in shape for a September elk hunt. It was the fittest I've ever felt, and I continue to incorporate his coaching in my preparation for each fall. I wanted to get GIF on the podcast to talk about training, and more specifically, heart rate training. You can find more about GIF at renancoaching.com. That's R-I-N-N-A-N coaching.com. Or you can track them down on Instagram at GIF Walters, that's G-I-F-F-W-A-L-T-E-R-S on Instagram. I hope you enjoy our conversation today. GIF Walters at Renan Running or Coach at Renan Running. Hey, it's going really good. Thanks for having me on the podcast, Dennis. Yeah, man. So recently you were down um, climbing some mountains. Uh, can you tell tell me a little bit about, so it's, is it called a needles traverse? Is that officially what it's called? Yeah, I don't really, it hasn't been done yet, so I don't have a name for it. it. Um, the idea that I dreamed up, uh, along with Rob Pism, who's a climber and a person I teach with is down in the Weminuch wilderness in the San Juans. There's a bunch of 13ers and they like ran out of good mountain names, so they just named them Peak 1, Peak 2, Peak 3, all the way through Peak 18. So there's 18 of them, and most of them you can't access on trail, so it's off-trail travel, above 12,000 feet. Some of them are technical. Um, so yeah, it just looked like a, not necessarily natural line, but they're nicely grouped and clustered. Some of them are on the same ridge line, so... Needles 18 project might be my working title. Okay. Okay. Um, and in you're, you're trying to climb them all kind of in one shot, right? Yeah. So it'd be unsupported. There's no good way to get resupplied. So you got to carry everything in, carry it out. Yeah. And, and when people think, you know, uh, you hear it all the time, uh, we're going into a wilderness area and it's 20 miles one way, or it's, uh, you know, we're 15 miles deep. Um, it's not super doable in a lot of places, uh, but, but this part of the Weminuch is doable, right? Like it's, it's 10, 15 mile just approach, maybe even, maybe even a longer approach. Uh, and it's f- also f- fairly famous of an area that you can get on a train uh, at certain times of the year and the train will drop you off in the middle of it or kind of halfway through or, or whatnot. So you can access some of the 14ers is pretty, pretty common for people to use it, use the train as an access, uh, to this wilderness area. But it's, it's like true wilderness. It's deep. Yeah, right? for sure. The minute you drop like over one of the ridges beyond the Chicago basin where the 14ers are, you're not going to see people. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's deep. It's out there. Um, so a cool, cool spot in the world for sure. Um, and you had a little bit of a hiccup this time. I know Rob, uh, I'm not throwing you under the bus, Rob, but uh, had a little bit of altitude sickness going on. Um, I got a, a couple pictures of him holed up in a Silex, uh, <laughs> hanging out, uh, trying to rest it up and, and whatnot. Um, so I, 
I wanted to get into a little bit about kind of training or, or prepping for something like that, you know, and, and, and kind of how that would pertain to, man, if you wanted to hunt that part of the world, right, where the approach is, you know, maybe 15, 20 miles in, right, for, for some people, um, you know, what kind of training would, would look like, you know, uh, for somebody trying to do that? Yeah, for sure. I think that's a great question. So I think when you're looking to train for anything, specificity and being as specific as possible is ideal. So if you had the luxury of just going out on super long hikes and hunting all year long and going shed hunting in the off season, well, just like spending time out there doing exactly what you're going to do, that would be the best thing. For most people, that's not a reality. You can't meet other commitments in life and spend all day just playing in the woods. Sure. Yeah, yeah, because it because it is different, right? September, I'm going to spend all day in the woods carrying a bow or in a backpack around and doing that. Um, I don't really do that outside of September, right? Like, it, it's it's hard to to figure that stuff out. So, yeah, I mean, that makes sense to me. I can't – if I could hike 15 miles a day, man, that'd be great. Yeah. And so I think the next best thing is running or some other sort of cardiovascular training where you're getting similar effort to what you're going to be doing and as similar as possible, the better. And then also maintaining strength. So making sure that you're strong enough to carry whatever pack you're going to have while you're out there. Um, But even running itself is a load bearing activity. So it's going to maintain and build a lot of that. I think the trick for a lot of people is they see running as this really hard, brutal thing. And like, you just got to gut through it. And it's because most people are running too hard most or all of the time. Okay. Um, yeah. And, and so are you biased a little bit because you're a running coach? Is it like towards the running? Like, could you, um, and I guess you, you kind of touched on it a little bit. You still have the same impact or similar impact forces, I guess, when you're running versus if I trained all year on a bike and then went and carried a backpack for 15 miles, they don't, they don't mesh well or as well as maybe running would. Correct? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think running is the best bang for your buck in that it gets a bad rap for destroying knees, but really done well at the right effort and with good form it should make your knees stronger it should really reinforce those joints and help with that stability biking's great it just takes more time hiking's good it takes even more time and then the minute you get on a machine in the gym you're just losing all those little stabilizer muscles and reacting to the landscape um so yeah ellipticals are good but they just work you in like one very specific motion pattern. Got it. Got it. Um, and you, you touched on it too a little bit. Uh, people are running too hard, right? And what, what does that mean to you as a coach, you know, as a running coach? Yeah. Um, you can put a lot of numbers and stats, heart rate, power, all kinds of stuff. Physiologically, very basically – there is some benefit to running hard, but it takes so much to recover that most people are grinding themselves down rather than building themselves up. So yeah, you lift something heavy or you go for a run, your body takes some time to recover. 
and then it comes back stronger and more prepared. You're limited if you're running too hard. You're limited to how much you can run and how frequently. And a lot of people are running too much or too frequently too hard. And so you might see gains for a couple of weeks. And you're, oh, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling better. I'm getting faster. And then you hit a plateau and you just start feeling kind of like crap and it's hard to get out the door. Okay. Um, yeah. And what, you know, like in uh, full disclosure for everybody too, like I have worked with GIF in the past and we would talk about the black hole, right? When I was training, um, we would talk about the black hole and you don't ever want to be in the black hole. Um, and, and I remember going out those first couple uh, probably not the first couple, probably a month plus or so we would get. And, and trail running is a little bit different um, because you have hills and rocks and, and obstacles and stuff. But I would get out on the trails and we had certain heart rate zones that I was looking for, you know, and I was monitoring those um, with I had a heart rate strap on and a, and a watch. Uh, but, man, if, if my heart rate got anywhere close to, you know, a certain level, I would have to start walking. And man, I was walking all the, I was walking way more than I was running for sure when I first started. Um, and, and trying to stay out of that black hole where, um, I think, you know, and, and previously if, if I had gone for a run and, and I still do it now where I'll go for a run and if I'm not paying attention, I'll get into that black hole, right. And I'll stay there and I'll run and I'll be like, Oh, I feel, you know, I'm trying real hard today. Like, this is great. Um, but to kind of bring it back full circle, like, walking and really paying attention to that heart rate or those zones um one after a month month and a half or so i got way faster i was running more things at a lower heart rate um in all of those so that's i th- i think that's very important for people to understand is like that black hole and kind of where that is in in their life you know or, or where they're running or they're training i guess yeah for sure and like to put a name on it it's that aerobic versus anaerobic and there's very complex different energy systems that your body's actually recruiting to do that and if you can manage to keep it easy and aerobic you're going to use fat as your fuel source and you can just run more duration more volume like more miles and continue to feel better and improve over time okay and and for people listening like to try to put a number on it that that might mean like nine minute miles or 10 minute miles for you know um for a few weeks or months or or whatnot and just really paying attention to that when when maybe you're used to running seven minute miles right like you're backing it off a lot to get out to get back into that kind of aerobic zone um yeah i mean and, and again walking I spend a lot of time walking when I was supposed to be going for runs. <laughs> yeah, especially if you're trail running. Like, you're going to walk the hills. And it's fun. Like, if you want something, like, you can hop on a treadmill and set it to, like, 15% grade. And then play around. Look at, like, your heart rate. And run it at, like, a certain speed. And then walk it at a certain speed. And you'll find this point where it definitely becomes more efficient and easier on your body to just walk it even at the same speed. Um, hmm. Is, is there a way for people to check that, uh, without a heart rate monitor, you know, um, without, I mean, you know, besides trying to 
put their hands on their wrists and, and count those numbers out in their head as, as they're running? Yeah, for sure. That's a great question. So the golden standard is just the talk test. And if you're out on a run or if you're hiking with a heavy pack, and you're like, I don't know, am I working too hard? If you can comfortably carry on a conversation, like maybe not as comfortably as we're talking right now, sure, but we could still chat, then you're good. If you're like, no, I couldn't, I would need to slow down or catch my breath, then you're beyond that. You're out of that aerobic zone. Okay, and and I know one of the uh, one of the examples that it, you had given me, and, and I've definitely done on the trail. So if anybody's seen me, you know this is this is what I'm doing. Uh, is you can say the Pledge of Allegiance, right? You can say it, and, if, and especially if you're running alone, right? It's hard to have a conversation unless you really enjoy talking to yourself. Um, but you can say the Pledge of Allegiance out loud, and if you struggle, if you're struggling or, or like, thinking to yourself, like, <gasps> like having to take big breaths in between words and stuff, you're probably trying too hard, right? You're probably going too hard. You're, you're um, yeah, you're, you're just trying to go too fast or, or too much, uh, maybe up that hill or, or, or whatnot. And that's not to say that you don't want to do that sometimes. Correct? Yeah, for sure. So if I'm working with a running client and we're looking to really maximize and peak their performance in running, we'll spend 80% of our time roughly in that super easy zone. Comfortable, you can talk, you're, hike, you're hiking up the hills. And then 20% will be very specific I want you to work this hard for this long with this much rest. And you can look up any training plan will have whatever they call repeats, intervals, tempos, that sort of stuff. And there's definitely a place for that in terms of maximizing your performance. But most people hang out there. They're like the sexy workouts. Oh, I did like mile repeats. But the magic is just in consistent, easy mileage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and sometimes you don't, uh, once you kind of get used to that, or or when you find those zones, right, that easy, those aerobic, uh, more aerobic, those easy zones, um, you sometimes feel like you're not working, you know? You really don't feel like you're doing a whole lot. Um, Your heart rate's maybe not as elevated as, um, you know, enough to, like, make you just run sweat out of your body. but given the time, like it, it's very, very beneficial, very beneficial. I remember a couple of years ago, um, you and I were uh, training pretty hard, and I went into September. Uh, man, I could do, and I was going in and out of areas, you know, six, seven miles deep here in the mountains. And the, I mean, it was nothing, you know. I was so used to being in that zone. Trekking poles were a, another big benefit in there, um, coming from like kind of that running into the kind of speed walking, I guess. Um, but I could cover ground like nobody's business, you know, like it was, I could see it trans, you know, like go into hunting, into that hunting kind of that entire September, um, was, I was on a whole nother level and I could just feel it every day. You know, I was refreshed, um, and I was going, going further, deeper. It didn't matter. Like go over that hill. Sure. Why not? Let's go check it out. You know, um, I mean, I wasn't running over the hill, but, you know, I could get there. So, yeah, I think that's that's super important for people. Um, if you're planning, you know, uh, coming out west, if you want to hunt the mountains, that kind of thing, where you do have to go, you know, maybe six miles deep, uh, maybe ten miles deep uh, to really 
think about that aerobic training that you're doing and that you don't necessarily have to push it that hard all the time. Definitely. Yeah. And I think for coming out West, especially if you're coming from somewhere that isn't at altitude, one of the best ways to guard against feeling the effects of altitude in the mountains here is to have a really good aerobic base of training. It's just maximizing how your body processes and uses the oxygen that it has available can really help and offset the chances of having really bad mountain sickness. Yeah. When you, uh, I would imagine, and, and maybe this isn't true, but you might have clients, right, that don't live at altitude, but maybe want to do a race, right? They want to do the Leadville 100. Uh, and the Leadville 100, for folks, and, and you know more than I do, but is in Leadville, Colorado. Um, it's super high, right? Like 12,000, 13,000 feet. Yeah, so you go over Hope Pass over 12,000, but the course never drops below 10,000. Never, okay. So you're just up high the entire time. Yeah, and, and people can start experiencing kind of that acute mountain um, or acute altitude, acute mountain sickness um, at about 8,000 feet. So if you're running at above 10,000 feet, like there's a good good chance. Um, do you have any acclimation strategies for, for people like that? Yeah, there's two schools of thought. I actually have a friend that works in the altitude physiology lab over at Western State, and there's still a lot of science going into it. It can affect people very individually in weird ways, but there's two schools of thought. Either you fully commit to letting your body adjust, and ideally you have three extra weeks, and you just come up, and you hang out, and you do a lot of easy hiking and easy running, and just let your body build the extra red blood cells so that it can process it. Or you just straight up trick your body. You come up, and you have like three days before your body really knows what's happening to it. And like, yeah, you just go straight into the thing. So you've got a hunt. You fly in that morning, you start hiking that afternoon or evening, you're out there, it might not feel great, but there's kind of this in-between phase after like a week or two where you're just feeling like crap and your performance really does take a dip before you adjust and really start thriving up there. Hmm. So ideally, uh, if you were coming out for 10 days, right, a 10-day hunt, um, ideally you would try to try to get here early if you could right and most people can't do that so you kind of you almost have to trick your body into thinking everything's fine yeah uh and 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 by doing that you mean like go deep as quickly as possible (laughs) i'm not necessarily going deep but just like just doing the thing you're gonna do like it's the same like if you're gonna climb a 14er and you're coming from sea level if you come up and just like dilly dally in denver for a while where you're at decent altitude and then go up it's not going to be any better than just going straight up Mm. to it got it yeah that's interesting because it does affect people um just kind of randomly right you can be in good shape and still get at eight thousand feet and feel terrible yeah um and i think hydration maybe factors in there maybe a little bit as well um yeah, for sure. I mean, just anything you can do to take care of your body, to not stress it, is that altitude stressor is there, the better you're going to be. So sleep well. Try yeah. To, try to get sleep. Yeah. Um, is there anything to that, to sleeping high, you know? Um, 
because we're in Colorado, you can pretty much drive. I mean, if you wanted to drive up to the, the top of Pikes Peak, you could totally do that, right? You could drive to 14,000 feet um, and, you know, maybe sleep in your car or something. Like, is there benefit to that, to sleeping at altitude? Um, and, you know, I guess not having to work, right, to get to 14,000 feet, but you could, like, drive up there and, like, take a nap or something. Yeah. No, there's definitely – there's like three main modes that if you're looking at, and they're artificial altitude tent companies that people can spend a lot of money on and do this if you live at sea level. The main benefit from altitude is spending a lot of time there. So sleep is like this easy time where you can just bank a lot of altitude hours. You can train high and sleep high, but your training is going to be affected a bit. Because it's harder, you're not going to be able to go as hard, you're going to feel like crap for a little bit. Then there's the idea where you just train high and sleep low. So you sleep really, really well, you're still stressing your body with some altitude, which is what like most weekend warriors in Colorado are doing. They're sleeping low, and then maybe they're training up high during the day or the weekends. And then there's the flip of that where you sleep high and you train low, which realistically for most people only works if you live on a plateau and like go down to train like people in Flagstaff that live at 7,000 and go down to the desert to train at like two or three or a lot of like pro runners in mill Valley, California, they'll set up a hypoxico altitude tent and they'll work in it during the day. And then they'll leave their little altitude chamber and go run super fast at sea level. And then they'll sleep in their altitude chamber. So it's like they're living high. And the jury's out on, like, which one's the best. Hmm. So all of them are going to help you adapt at some point. And just thinking about, all right, at least in a running lens right before an event, should I be running really fast and fresh? Or is it still worth it to go up to altitude? Interesting. So what you're saying is I need to get one of those crazy (laughs) plastic chambers so that we get to hang out in all day. Or you could just get really fit by doing easy aerobic work uh, and yeah. not spend like 10 grand. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, if, uh, in there, they make the tents too, right, that you could sleep in. Um, yeah, I wonder if anybody, if there's anybody out there that's tried that for hunting, I would be very interested, you know, for, for people coming from low elevation um, and trying to hunt at high elevation, maybe even sheep hunts, right, where you're yeah. going to spend some time especially here in Colorado, like up there above 12,000, 13,000 feet for significant amounts of time, um, you know, if, if that would be worth it, right? Um, obviously, we're not buying a $10,000 tent to hang out in, but uh, but it would be interesting, yeah. Yeah, if you could spend three, four weeks in that ahead of time, you'd feel pretty good going in. It's primarily high-altitude mountaineers that are using it, but with really good success. Huh, that's interesting. Let's uh, can, can we dive into maybe heart rate a little bit for folks so they can um, and we can use uh, you can use me as an example or yourself as an example or something and talk maybe like specific numbers, you know, for people, um, you know, there, there's this kind of saying out there, right? My heart rate is kind of or my max heart rate or whatnot is kind of 220 minus my age. Right. Um, for me, I don't I just had a birthday, so I don't want to feel old or anything. Um, but that'd be like somewhere around um, 186 or, or something, somewhere around those lines. Um, 
does that does that make sense in the world where you're actually tracking your heart rate? That's a great question. So, unfortunately, humans are way more complex and unique. So, that equation is a rough approximate. But in my experience working with people, it can be off by as much as like 20 to 40 beats per minute. Wow. So, depending on your body size and your heart size and just all of your physiology, it can be all over the place. Um, there's like a thousand different equations out there that every exercise researchers come up with. Um, but I think one of the easiest ways to do it is to try and tie where that talk test point is for you to a heart rate number. And just getting that one point, like where does it go from being aerobic to anaerobic and just knowing where that number is. Got it. So, um, like if I didn't have a heart rate monitor, but I had access to a gym, they have like the little grippies, right? On the, on the treadmill or something. Um, would that help? Would that give me an idea? Um, yeah. So there's a ton of ways to measure it. So you've got like the grips, everybody like Fitbits and Garmin's and all the wearables. The issue, at least with the watch ones, it's very fit dependent on how it actually molds to your wrist. So take those with a grain of salt. Okay. Like, and, the, and those are going to be like the, the watches with sensors in them? Little yeah, sensors like in the, the bottom. optical heart rate. Little opticals. Okay. Um, so a chest strap or an arm strap are usually much more reliable. But it's really like you're looking for this ballpark number temperature, hydration, sleep, everything can like tweak your heart rate a little bit. So you don't want to just have this heart that like I have to be at 149 or else. But just going out, hop on a treadmill, start super duper easy, speed it up like a half mile an hour every two to three minutes. Do the talk test each time. Can I carry on a conversation? Say the Pledge of Allegiance and just kind of find at that point where Ooh, it's kind of hard. I'm really struggling. I can't actually carry on the conversation. Where's your heart rate at? And that's the number that you want to be below most of the time, 80 to maybe 100% of the time. Okay. Okay. So this is like the speed of the treadmill or like, like, is there a way to, like, if you, can you walk test it instead of run it? Like, can I put it, put it at an incline and just walk up a hill until... You know, I, I get to those points. Like, are there ways to kind of kind of mix that up? Yeah. I guess? Yeah. So it could be, you can do it on a bike. You could do it running, sort of whatever training method you're going to do. Oftentimes, if you're already in pretty good shape, it can be hard to get there just hiking necessarily. Um, but you could, like, set the treadmill if it goes up to 15 or more. If you get, like, one of the super incline trainers, it goes to 40%. Like, yeah, you could definitely get there so that's great you just want to increase it slowly and then give yourself enough time that your body kind of adjusts to that workload um because if you just wait 30 seconds your body's not going to know what happens and it actually takes your heart there's some heart rate lag and so it takes your heart rate a while to catch up and kind of figure it out so it's that like if you just go sprint up a hill like you can get away with it for 30 seconds and then your body's like, oh, my gosh, what are we doing? And all of your systems kind of kick in and catch up. Okay. 
So, um, and you had mentioned like 149, you know, and, and I'm just trying to trying to be a little specific for people. Um, I feel like when I was doing it, that was a number that was pretty close. Anyways, it was 149. And, and so um, any runs that I would go on, um, you know, I would, would be wearing a chest strap uh, along those lines, a uh, chest strap or, or a wrist base kind of monitor. Mo- most of the time a chest strap. Uh, just because they are way more accurate and I could kind of feel more comfortable with those numbers. Um, but I would always try, right, to be under under that. Um, is there a point at which, like, I'm too far under? Not not in the same sense that you're worried about going over it. Um, there is, like, the closer you are to that number, the more aerobic gains you're going to get. Okay. Um, so if you're really just doing purely aerobic stuff, you can get as close to that number as you want. But even if you just go for like a two hour dog walk and it's super chill and your heart rate's like below a hundred, there's still aerobic benefit to just getting that bulk time on your feet with an, a slightly elevated heart rate. Got it. But I, I get way more bang for my buck if I can get close to 149. Yeah. never really go over 149. So say you've got like four hours to train during the week. That's what your schedule allows. If you spend four hours like right in like the 140s versus four hours in the 130s, you're going to see more aerobic development more quickly. Got it kind of treading that fine line sure got it yeah you want to stay and then if you go over that kind of going back to our kind of black hole conversation um if you if if say my i discover that it's 149 right is is my number that i don't really want to go over anytime you go over that number you're in that quote kind of black hole that kind of place where it feels like you're working really hard it feels as if you're doing your body some good um but most of the time you're just stuck there and you're not making a lot of progress, right? You're in one, you're, you're running with a heart rate of 154. Um, and then you're just kind of there forever and it feels terrible. Yeah. It doesn't feel fun. Um, and then it's really hard, you know, days, uh, you know, if you're trying to run or train every day, um, it's really hard to motivate yourself to go back to a heart rate of 154, versus when you're running maybe every day with a heart rate of 145, you know, and just changing that 10 beats. And honestly, people, it sounds crazy, um, but I've done it, right? It 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 works so well, you know? Uh, yeah, I've been super impressed uh, with that heart rate kind of strategy. There is a black hole, but then there's also something above the black hole, correct? Yeah, so if you, like, break it down into running training zones, at a certain point in your training, like it's okay to spend a little bit of time in the black hole, but usually it's going to be five minute sets or maybe like a 20 minute push. And I, I refer to them as tempo runs. There's a bunch of other names that you can ID them, but where you're really working on that lactate threshold, you're training your ability to tolerate that and to process um, the lactic byproduct in your system. Then beyond that, you might be going like really hard, like an eight out of 10 on an effort scale for between like two and five minutes. 
And that would be interval training. You're targeting sort of your VO2 max. The idea, sort of the analogy I like is trying to increase like from a V6 to a V8 engine. Like just how much pure oxygen uptake you can train your body to use. There's definitely a place for that. And then beyond that is just in running or biking is just pure speed. So going super fast. So anything under two minutes, maybe it's uh, 20 second, 30 second, one minute repeats on a track that might be a 200, 400, 800 kind of stuff. And that's great for super specific running, muscle recruitment, neurological, just like processing and training your body to go fast. If you're just going to hump a huge pack and like carry an animal out of the woods, there's not necessarily a lot of benefit out of that. I take that time and that energy, go to the gym, work on your weaknesses, really just make sure you're a well-rounded, strong human, and then focus on that purely aerobic stuff most of the time. Um, and, and I just want to bring it back to you. Like we were saying, hiking, if you could just carry a pack and go for a hike, it's probably the best thing you could do, right? Yep. Like, because that is ultimately what we're trying to do in September, October, November, even. Um, we're, we're just we're trying to go for long hikes with a pack on at elevation sometimes, maybe not at elevation. Just, um, but that's what we're trying to do. Now, the reason why I really want to talk about kind of the heart rate stuff and, and the running side of things is that we don't have all that time um, to do, you know, I, I don't have time to hike 10 hours a day. Um, as much as I would like to, um, so I can, I can get close to that, right. And in improving my aerobic base by spending way less time closer to that, you know, uh, black hole. I like calling it a black hole because it it makes me think that I never want to be there. Yeah. I never want to be there. And it does definitely suck you in. Um, but, but the more time or the, you know, like I can spend some time closer to that black hole. And I'm talking maybe a half hour a day, right? Um, is going to do more for me, or more closer to spending ten hours a day hiking. Does, it, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay. Yeah, and, and that, I just want to, you know, get that across to everybody that that's kind of what I was thinking. Um, cool, man. What type of what type of strength stuff? I know there's a um, a little bit of a warm up that we used to do. Um, you know, for people that were running um, or, or hiking, for that matter, I think it, it makes a lot of sense. Um, but like, what kind of strength stuff would people be? You know, uh, um, you know, a couple things, anyways, that you would recommend for people. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, as we're doing right now, we're sitting down, and a lot of us spend a lot of our time sitting down, and as a result, there are a lot of muscles that we just don't use very often. And in running, that's primarily the glute. So getting your butt to actually fire and engage. So oftentimes before a run, it's a super simple classic warm up where you just do a series of lunges and so you'll do forward lunges, you'll do side lunges, you'll do some reverse lunges and like a lunge with a torso twist. And it just really helps kind of wake up those muscles and it forces you to engage that glute and use those muscles. So then you carry that fresh sort of reminder and priming into your run. 
And then you can also do some leg swings just to loosen things up, get your hips really nice and open. So just like grab a tree or a pole, do some forward and back leg swings, and then some side-to-side -side leg swings. And then usually like you're ready to go. And then I always recommend just easing into the run. Like the transition from not running to running is a stressful transition for your body. So really, like even if it's an easy run, warm up into it. Take five, ten minutes to just kind of let your body be like, oh, okay, we're running now. Mm -hmm. Sure, like let, let everything wake up to the idea that like we're trying hard now. We're not sitting yeah. anymore. <laughs> we're done sitting for at least a half hour or so. Um, yeah, and I, I think that part uh, is very important too. Those simple uh, lunges in in kind of the leg, uh, like the, the leg le swings, like the leg swings. Um, man, that makes such a difference in my day, um, and I, and I really credit those types of things with letting me run every day. Mm. You know, um, just it it does that. Like I, I get up, maybe maybe I get up. Um, I have a two year old now who likes waking up early, so we're we're up pretty early. Um, we'll go for runs. Uh, I push her in a stroller. But just, like, coming from waking up, maybe running around the house a little bit, and then doing those simple lunges and those leg swings, just, again, like you said, like, start those muscles firing um, in places that maybe I haven't used yet today um, and allow me to then, you know, run at a, at a decent pace, you know, um, definitely blow my, like, trying to stay out of that black hole. Um, but make me feel good to, to do it again the next day, right? And and actually really take the edge off of that first five minutes of running. Mm -hmm. I notice that all the time. And if I've, if for whatever reason I forget, uh, which it seems weird that you would forget to do your warm up, but I do it sometimes. I'll just start running and I'm like, Oh wait, no, I didn't do that. Let's go. No, let's go back. Well, let's go back and start over, start over, hit the reset button. Um, and then, and it might take five minutes, right? Like those kind of, um, those, lunges and stuff maybe take five minutes um but really i mean i'd notice it and um and maybe it's in my head too but i feel like i'm faster when i do those little uh little warm-ups and stuff so yeah i think that's super important well i'll try to uh, put some links out there for people too that can kind of see what we're talking about um in those like just those simple simple lunges um in the leg swings and stuff so no i think that's super important is there anything um like in the gym right like or if you're laying in the house like do you use a foam roller do you do stuff like that yeah i'm a huge fan for runners they're just classically kind of opposed to strength training in general so most of the stuff that i design and prescribe is low equipment heavy so mostly body weight a lot of just core and hip pelvis work. Those are main areas that runners are weak in. And then I do, I'm a huge fan of rolling out, doing a lot of mobility stuff. Um, Kelly Starrett, Supple Leopard style stuff, if people are familiar. Um, I think Kevin just sent me that, a link to that the other day, actually. Yeah. The Supple Leopard that, make, that rings a bell. I'll, we'll ask Kevin. Kevin isn't here if you haven't noticed it. <laughs> um yeah, so almost more as a tool of just self-awareness to really kind of feel like, oh, ooh, that spot's kind of weird. Like, what's going on over there? And then self-massage. If you look at the research on recovery, 
there's probably nothing physiologically happening with massage. Myofacial release maybe is or isn't really a thing, but it feels good. And if you think it works and it makes you feel good, then it works. Mm. So like going in and just like hammering your IT band over and over and it hurts so bad. It hurts like it maybe isn't actually doing much for you. Mm. And and you're talking about maybe uh, like a big foam roller and you're just rolling your IT band out. Yeah. Which is which if you haven't done it is not the most fun thing in the world. It's horrible. And the IT band is it's basically just like an indestructible section of fiber in your body. And really if you're having IT issues, it's probably a tight glute meat, like your glute or your glute med, somewhere up in the hip where it actually connects. That's tight, which is pulling it tight, making your knee cranky or the IT band inflamed itself. Um so, yeah, foam rolling is not always super pleasant, but often the feeling afterwards, if you release it, is super satisfying and pleasant for people. Mm-hmm. So it's something to experiment with. Okay. For sure. But I think doing a dynamic warm-up, running easy, is probably more beneficial mm-hmm. for your time. Cool, man. Um, I don't know how long... Uh, we've been hanging out here, but, uh, anything else that we want to talk about as far as like training for people, um, you know, anything you wanted to touch on or. I think the biggest thing is just trying to have fun with it. I think people often get so wrapped up in certain numbers or mileage or whatever. It's like, be kind to yourself follow the fun like if you're feeling motivated to go do something else that day that's not necessarily on your training plan like awesome go for it follow that fun like be playful with it because that long-term commitment is where the gains are Mm. like doing one hard workout that you just really didn't want to on one day that then burns you out for a whole week is going to do more damage than, like, if you just skipped that entirely and went for a dog walk and then, like, kept up with everything going forward. So I think just keep it fun, keep it light, and just long-term consistency is where all the magic really happens. Yeah, you had you had told a story, I think, before we were recording. Um, you kind of brought up the Kenyans in, in 10 years. Uh, um, I'm going to butcher the story, so I'll let you, yeah. you tell it in a <laughs> second. But um, that's sometimes that's not what people like to hear, right? Is that it's going to take 10 years, um, to create an aerobic base or, or, or whatnot, but, um, putting in that consistent low, low grade, right. Work, um, is going to pay off, uh, in the long term, Right. And, and you had mentioned a story about kind of the Kenyan runners. Yeah. It's, it's huge. And we live in an era where everybody wants like, Oh, if I just eat this one superfood, then I'm healthy. If I just do this one new crazy move at the gym, like I'll get jacked shoulders. What like, and none of none of that's gonna work. It's just about that long term consistency. And so the Kenyans they have this concept of building your house, and it really just refers to kind of setting the foundation for your athletics. And it's this idea that you have to spend ten years building your aerobic engine before you can really see like what that potential is. And one of the reasons people go and study it all the time, figure out like, why are Kenyans so amazing at running? One of the reasons that has been posited 
is that most of them run to school. So they're running like maybe 10 to 12 miles a day, five to six days a week with books in their arms. But they're little kids. Like they're not running super hard. They don't want to be sweaty when they show up. They don't want to be worked when they get there. So they're just running easy as their mode of transportation. And they're logging 60 mile weeks, super easy for 10 years, 15 years. And then they might actually start their formal training. Like, okay, now I'm going to start mile training or I'm going to go for the 1500 meter. And yeah, it's no wonder that like way more Kenyans are running sub four minute miles every year than American high schoolers. They've just put in that non-sexy, easy aerobic time to get ready. Yeah. Cool. Well, I think uh, we'll leave everybody with that. Go uh, go build your house, as it were, um, and stay out of that black hole. So uh, thanks, Gift. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, uh, thanks, really Dennis. Appreciate it. Hey, everyone. Real quick before you go, I just wanted to say thanks for listening. And if you've been enjoying our conversations, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Also, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please email podcasts at seekoutside.com. Thanks, and have a great day.